When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and is still checking the thesaurus to find other words for robbed. I'm Kevin Day, he's Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, that's, that was an act of larceny that Uncle Terry would have been proud of. Well, Neil Mope can take me dry for all I care. Kevin and I, I just ruffle his hair and give him a cheeky, cheeky squeeze of the cheeks. Yeah, I, 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 Neil Mope does realise that was the children's end he was giving it large to, doesn't he? That was the family end. It was basically 24, 12 year olds he was making hand gestures at. Uh, uh, and for those of you Brighton fans who have been t- getting in touch with me to say that's exactly what Palace did to Brighton last season. Stop living in the past. Come on. <laughs> it's 2021. <laughs> uh, it was lovely to see you in the pub beforehand. Though, yes, and, and, and it was great to meet, well, first of all, to meet the legendary Porson's Arms and the staff there were fantastic and, and to meet those Palace fans who I've become friendly with you know, through the podcast. You have the likes of Julian and Gasbod and Martin and so on. Uh, absolutely fantastic bunch of people and you know that's what rivalry is about it's it's rivalry but you actually find out that you've got 99% of what you've got is in common because we are similar clubs of a similar size and for 90 minutes twice a year we hate each other's guts and, and then we can still have a pint beforehand 95 minutes Kieran yeah no actually I, <laughs> uh, I quite agree with you but uh, an executive decision was taken not to invite you back after the game but um, <laughs> Very yeah, and also if if Julian Chenery is listening to this, uh, the shocking level of fanboy behaviour really edged me out of the photograph that you wanted to have date with. It's shameful, Kieran. Um, later in the show, I'm delighted to say we will be hearing from Trevor Birch, who's chief executive of the EFL. Uh, before that, some news stories, and the first one is about um, a crime that took place in SC25. On no, it's not. Um, the first story, Kieran, is. Um, and this will be mentioned in the interview with Trevor Birch, which we've just completed. The unfortunate reality of administration is making itself felt at Derby. Yes, uh, it has been confirmed by the administrators. Uh, I think as as predicted that, uh, that there have been a number of redundancies. Uh, I think The Athletic have said yeah, up to 20. Mm. Uh, these are the back office staff who who have lost their jobs as a result of the financial mismanagement and gambling approach taken by Mel Morris. And it's you know these people who are now worrying how they're going to have to go and pay the rent and the mortgage next month. It's these people who are uh, will be you know frantically putting together CVs and trying to contact everybody they know elsewhere in the industry. Uh, and it will be these people that, you know, whose families will be you know, potentially having to, to speak to people 
uh, about benefits and, and so on. And this this is this is the tragedy of administration. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's not a case of yeah it yeah we everybody wants in football, even Forest fans, because as we say, you can't have a rivalry without yeah. rivals. Yeah. Um, everybody wants Derby County to come out of this uh, with a football club to support that football club playing at Pride Park, but there have been casualties. Um, I understand that uh, the wages which are due to be paid played, paid on the 30th of September. Uh, I believe the administrators have said that those wages will be paid and uh, they've tried to be positive to staff and say, well, they are they are trying to not have any further redundancies. So, you know, again, fingers right. crossed um, uh, in respect of that. And some Derby fans have been in contact and said, well, what can they do? Well, what they can do is, you know, if you're a, if you're a Derby fan that doesn't have a season ticket, well, go along and buy a matchday ticket. In fact, if you're a Derby fan with a season ticket and you can afford to go and buy a matchday ticket on top of your season ticket, you know, yeah. every penny helps now. And by doing so, you're helping to preserve jobs for those people who are working at Derby County, doing the jobs uh, play, uh, having those roles which are unsung uh, but still are vital to the club. Yeah, and of course, being football fans, Derby fans have already set up funds or are trying to raise money uh, as a sort of hardship uh, fund for the, the staff made redundant. Kieran, do the normal rules of of redundancy apply in administration? Because you'll, you'll have staff there, even if I'm sure they'll probably go for the 20 staff with the least amount of service between them. But you'll still have staff who, under normal circumstances, would would be made redundant with a decent payoff. Does that not happen in administration? There, there is protection under legislation that you will get your statutory redundancy entitlement. Right. Okay. So if, if you had had if you had enhanced rights under an employment contract, that becomes more complicated. But you will still get your statutory redundancy. Yeah, see, as an ex-HR person, I should have gone straight for those statutory redundancy requirement rather than beating around the board. But I'm, I'm pleased to hear that because I was worried that um, they would be basically marched out with nothing except their latest paycheck. So that's well, it's not good news. There's no good news about it, is there, Kieran? Let's face it. Uh, uh, UEFA, <laughs> at the other end of the financial scale, UEFA have dropped the charges against the remaining three clubs in the European Super League. Yes, um, there is still a battle going on between Barcelona, Real Madrid and Juventus, probably the three clubs who were set to benefit the most from the Super League franchise project um, and UEFA. And this is on the back of the Madrid court. You know, it could be could have been yeah. a very friendly judge for all we know. It's not, not for us to, uh, to cast any, any uh, accusations there. Uh, in terms of UEFA's ability to impose further sanctions. But this also has uh, qu- quite a few implications. And there's yeah, th- there's a really good uh, article by, by our friend Matt Slater in The Athletic. And, and we're not sponsored by The Athletic, by the way. It's just, just I read it and it, it summarised things but, you know, pretty well. Um, UEFA, it would also now appear will be unable to impose the um, 15 million euro per team fine stroke goodwill gesture uh, by the other members of Super League. Um, and uh, it ultimately, we, we've got to work out who's in charge of football uh, 
uh, in Europe um, and what is UEFA's role and that th- everything sort of now revolves around is UEFA a a regulatory body i.e. It, it, its role is purely administrative or is it in addition a competition organizer um, and therefore sets to benefit from being a monopoly in in being able to uh, have competitions such as the Champions League and the Europa League and the Conference League, um, which prevents alternative competitions such as the Super League franchise. So that's that's the crux of the matter. Uh, you uh, you speak to different lawyers and you you get well. The answer is it depends, um, mm. and you know, there's certainly no. Uh, consistency of of viewpoint because you I think it's a, it's a really challenging legal case which which may or may not end up in in the European Court of Justice depending upon how bullish uh, the uh, the rebels you know re- rebels has got you know uh, a bit of a sexy name to yeah. it uh, yeah, scumbags I think uh, I, yeah. I would perhaps refer to them as self-serving, self, uh, self-important. Um, uh, I, I won't say the remaining words of that sentence, but, um, yeah. but uh, so, so that's, that's where we are at present. Is Super League dead? No, it isn't. Uh, you know, certainly the desire for uh, the backers of those clubs who feel that European football is undervalued and the reason why they feel it's undervalued is because uh, it has uh, jeopardy i.e if it's it's based on the notion of you have to win football matches uh, in order to qualify for the competitions take that away have guaranteed positions have a have a sealed unit then you've got for those clubs that are within the sealed franchise you've got a very much more lucrative valuation of football clubs and and that's where the uh, the uh, their their supporters are coming from uh, UEFA I suppose have a similar problem to the EFL which we discussed with Trevor in our interview in that is that it's that legal nicety isn't it because the UEFA is an organization in its own right yet it's also every single club within it so it's it's sometimes hard to discern where the legal responsibility lies isn't it that, that's right. I mean, you know, it, it, the, part of the problem between the Premier League and the EFL is that the Premier League has been far more successful than anybody could have anticipated, which has concentrated money in the Premier League. Now, similarly with the Champions League, it has been far more successful than anybody could have predicted. And therefore, people are saying, well, you know, can we just take the Champions League convert it into something slightly different and make even more money from it. So mm. um, you know, both these organizations are, are victims of their own success. But if you, have, uh, if you have the gaps between the Premier League and the Championship and you have the gaps between the Super League and the rest of European football, it would mean that there would be no incentive for anybody to invest in clubs such as Everton, Villa, Newcastle, Leeds, and, and even our clubs. Uh, because the the financial gaps would be so huge as, as to uh, you know any any form of disruption you know, the, even even the small chance of another Leicester would be completely uh, eliminated. Mm. Um, I'll take you back to the start of that question, Kieran, because we've made a lot of casual accusations about people we don't know in the past. I don't see why Madrid judges should get away with it. Okay, arsehole. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, the Premier League, Kieran, in a in a move that reminds me slightly of when Ed was at nursery school, are planning to reward the clubs with the highest number of vaccinated players. Now, I don't know whether those clubs are going to get something to put on their fridge. <laughs> or, 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 but it's, a, it's, it's a strange story. They're just going to they're going to the, the Premier League club who vaccinates the most players. I don't know what the reward will be. I imagine Brighton will vaccinate an extra player in the 96 minute just to sneakily get something. But it's a strange one, Kieran, isn't it? I, I, I still, even as somebody who used to work in uh, employment and employment law, I still can't understand because if I was a club owner, I would simply be saying to players, especially new players, no vaccination, no contract. It's as simple as that because they're putting other players at risk. Same on, same on Strictly Come Dancing, Kieran. Um, well, uh, the reason why the Premier League is now considering this is because of the low take-up of vaccine. Only seven clubs have uh, players where or, or are in a position where the more than 50% of players have taken on the vaccine. I was, have gen- been vaccinated. I was, I was genuinely surprised by that number, Kieran. Yeah. Um, so we there, therefore have to say, well... Why is that the case? Um, football dressing rooms are strange places, and yeah. f- footballers are unusually superstitious. There's yeah. lots yeah. of conspiracy theories going round. They are forming their decisions on the basis of what they're getting from WhatsApp groups, and WhatsApp groups can be uh, fairly insular. Um, in terms of uh, you know opinions, but you know if you know such and such a player, uh, we've also got uh, people who I can only describe as idiots. And yep. uh, here I'm talking about you, Matthew Letizier, who's claimed that there have been fifteen thousand vaccine deaths, yep. completely unsubstantiated. Yeah, uh, but that gets into you know, have you read this? You know, he's an ex England player. He's an ex Premier League player. He's coming out with this, that, and the other, um, and. Yeah, if if you are a young man um, in in your twenties and you get COVID, uh, you, know, you know the the Newcastle goalkeeper had it, and, and he said it was pretty horrendous. Uh, yeah. You know, he really really did hit him. We've got uh, Angola Kante has just tested positive for it at Chelsea. Yeah. If players are not taking the vaccine, they they you know they are scared that you know I've heard the side effects of the vaccine, or you know you feel you feel pretty dreadful for 24, 48 hours. Well, if I take the vaccine on a Thursday, that means I can't play on the Saturday. Somebody could take my place. I I'm lose my appearance bonus. You know you, you can see you can see some players might go down that particular route, um, but where this leaves clubs um, and the Premier League and the government, because the government is really keen for uh, as many people to have, have COVID as possible. You know, could it be that the government might start insisting on some form of COVID certification? Mm-hmm. Uh, and in, in terms of these rewards, you know, I, I think it has to be bigger and better than a, you know, a thumbs up sticker from the Premier League. But the very fact that they are considering it uh, I think is a cause for concern because uh, you know what happens if uh, you know if backroom staff get it, if matches have to be cancelled because players get COVID and pass it on. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's messy, um, and uh, you know, as as we move towards winter, uh, you know what how 
how the country is going to have to deal with the 5 million people who, for whatever reason, can't or won't take the vaccine, I think is a much broader issue for society. Yeah, unfortunately, we've got another idiot-based question coming up or based story coming up. But So let's let's do a couple more sensible ones before we get onto that so I can prepare my righteous anger. Hearts and Motherwell have complained to the SPFL over away fans being locked out of their matches with Celtic and Rangers. Yes, this uh, I, th- I think this is a bit of bully boy tactics by by Rangers and Celtic. Um, Whoa, you're going to get tweets now, boy. I, I'm going to get tweets, but uh, I, I don't think it reflects well on on either club. Um, under SPFL rules, every club has to set aside a reasonable proportion of tickets for away fans. So so they don't say it's got to be 1,500 or 3,000 uh, because you know, there are some clubs in the SPFL who have you know, relatively low crowds and then we've got the, the two big Glasgow clubs who, you know, 45, 50,000 uh, and who therefore would take uh, a lot of away fans under normal circumstances. But for Rangers and Celtic to say, well, you know, for try to use COVID as, as a, uh, to validate not allowing away fans seems very harsh. Um, now, during COVID, the SPFL said, well, you know, a reasonable number of uh, tickets allowed for away fans could be zero because yeah. we don't want to encourage people to travel. You know, we, were in, we, we were in a period of social distancing and so on. Um, but uh, what clubs have to do is that they have to agree on the number of away tickets. And I think they've got to give at least 14 days notice. Now, if the away club is unhappy, they can then appeal to the SPFL. Now, to date, no clubs have appealed uh, in, in respect of these bans from Rangers and Celtic. But it does look, you know, Hearts, I think, are due to play at Ibrox in a few weeks. So they might go down that route. Motherwell, who are another uh, yeah, another community club, I think they're unhappy with the situation. Um, can, can the smaller clubs in the, the SPFL, can they afford can they, can they afford to do a tit for tat in respect of Rangers and Celtic who will you know who will fill out the away end and more? It's it's far more difficult. So I, I think this is is a feeling of that the the two big Glasgow clubs are flexing their muscles. Um, they're they're looking for a fight where perhaps there's no need for one. You know, if, if you if if, uh, if if a club's just going to bring 500 fans, we'll let them bring 500 fans. They're not going to make enough noise to make a significant difference to the the 45,000, 50,000 fans at the home end. So, um, you know, it, I, it seems to be a decision motivated by reasons other than football. Yeah, and staying in Glasgow, Kieran, Celtic, uh, and I had to read this several times and double-check with Guy that it's right, but Celtic generated three times as much money from match day income as Manchester United did in the last season with crowds. Well, no, no, it wasn't the last season with crowds. It was in the last season. We've just seen Celtic and Celtic and Manchester United are the first two clubs to uh, publicise their 2020-21 sets of accounts. And I think everybody was expecting um, match day income to be close to zero. 
Um, So, you know, Manchester United's matchday income, which is normally around about £110 million in a a full year, that went down to seven. And that was, you know, I think there was one match at the end of the season where some people were allowed to attend. Um, There was... Uh, and also Manchester United have a membership scheme. So I think they included the membership fees in their matchday income. So that came to 7 million quid. And I was expecting Celtic's figures to be close to zero. And they went down from 35 to 20. And I thought, yeah, blimey O'Reilly, what's going on here then? And it turns out, and I think this has caused some uh, less than positive vibes from from the Celtic fan base on, on top of the fact that you know, last season was not one to remember mm. uh, in in terms of their their domestic performance in the league was that Celtic uh, kept the uh, kept the the season ticket money from fans and it gave them uh, effectively uh, streaming rights so they they were able to see the matches. Um, but they weren't able to see the matches in, in person. Uh, and I think they weren't given much of a choice as to whether or not they could actually ask for a refund. So this right. did cause some bad feeling. At the same time, it generated a lot of money uh, for uh, for the club. I think it could be argued that surely the the fans themselves, you know, that should have been their decision. You know, some, some fans uh, might have said, and we've seen this in many other clubs, have my season ticket money you know we want the club to survive but not all fans were are in that position because they might have been furloughed they might have lost their jobs they might have been self-employed and and you know get, getting access to, to government funding uh during covid would, was that much more difficult um so it, it was this crazy situation that as a result of celtic saying thanks very much for the season ticket money we're not going to refund it to you we're going to keep it they ended up generating more match day income even though the fans couldn't physically attend the matches themselves well <clears throat> kieran i say this through gritted teeth but i owe guy an apology then because he he emailed the the stories through and, and i read this story and uh, it says uh last season and I thought he's got that wrong he obviously got distracted by this caviar being too salty <laughs> and, and so it was me that added the bit about crowd so guy I I know guy's not listening but you know whoever guy's employed to listen to this week on the zero hours contract and make the rudimentary editing changes I apologize <laughs> you, now th- this next question Kit, I mean this next story rather more than 50 non-league games have been called off because of the petrol shortage, not because team coaches couldn't get to games, but players couldn't get to the team coaches. And Ali had a break from tour this weekend and couldn't go back on tour, missed three days and therefore three days' money because of idiots filling carrier bags with petrol and bringing every vase in the house down to the station. But how's how's this going to play out in terms of compensation and lost income that's a, that's a lot of matches to be lost to panic buyers isn't it yes i think we're probably talking here uh, sort of, you know something like tiers 10 and 11 the likes of the isthmian league and so on where uh, you know the the clubs don't necessarily even have a coach you know because players yeah. will travel to matches um and of course the the clubs couldn't guarantee that 11 players could could get to matches because you Back. can't put fuel in your car so um, again, yeah, I think, I think we mentioned this on, on, on Monday's show, but, uh, I, I, I live about 400 yards from a petrol station 
um, and, and I went there to get some ciabatta uh, <laughs> yesterday, um, and there was a woman there yeah. who who I think she'd she'd paid something like seven pounds fifty to top up her tank, and I'm going, yeah. this this is ridiculous, you know. And yeah, I said, "Why are you doing this?" She said, "Well, I might run out." I said, "Well, how many how many miles do you do in a year?" She says, four thousand. I, I, I do more than that on my bicycle. Oh, do you know what? Just for a moment there, Kieran, I panicked on your behalf because I thought Brighton had run out of ciabatta. Oh, oh now that that is that's a that's what a crisis been, that will oh, get synchronized yeah. tutting from. They've been panicked by Interimisalata. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, you 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 nearly ruined the. Uh, picturesque idyll, idyll I have of your farmhouse on the vineyard by mentioning a petrol station, but then you said that you sell ciabatta, so it's, of course that plays into the hands of every Palace fan's expectations of where <laughs> our Brighton fan lives. So, but in, so in terms of lost income, then I mean, even though this, these are, as you say, level ten, level eleven games, it's still when we're only just getting back into a season where match day income is being generated, then suddenly out of the blue, they're losing. A whole game's worth of money. Yes, and you know the, these clubs, um, yeah, they, they were the beneficiaries of some government funding, uh, you know, as part of grassroots, which helped them to come out of COVID. But remember, we're now at the end of September. Uh, furlough is about to end. We, we are not out of the woods yet, and for these clubs, where where match day income can often be eighty or ninety percent of, of their total revenue, it's. Uh, it, it's it's just another kick in the teeth through yeah. uh, what can only be described as stupidity and selfishness yep. uh, by by individuals. Uh, yep. if, if, if people are capable of seeing the bigger picture, uh, then then we can all get through this. But you know this this this, this neurosis and you know, this this collective nervous breakdown that the company sort of the country appears to have had over the course of the last eighteen months. We've only got back to you know the the, the what now seems the hilarity of stockpiling toilet rolls right. uh, and now stockpiling petrol in in jerry cans, as you're saying, for, for which 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 you which, you, which you're not going to use or you know you, it, it's uh, it, just just be sensible. It's not not right. difficult being sensible. Believe me, I'm, I'm, I am the world's dullest man. Yeah, yeah. I'm, if, if I can do it, other people can. Yeah, Kieran, you, you travelled 400 miles to take your wife to see a football match in Arbroath for a romantic weekend. I, I wouldn't put that down as dull. <laughs> you follow the sisters of mercy around, it's not necessarily dull. There is something about the psychology of stockpiling. I don't know if it's uniquely British, but early on in the first lockdown, I was having my exercise walk and I – saw a load of people coming out of Sainsbury's carrying a lot of toilet roll. And I suddenly thought, I need toilet roll. And I, I knew I had plenty of toilet roll at home, not because I'd been stockpiling. We just had, we had well, four toilet rolls. That's how, I think that's a, a, a sufficient number in a house full of four people. But suddenly every bone in my body was was, was, was telling me I had to go and <laughs> stock up on toilet roll. I had to actively resist it. Um, yeah, imagine imagine if, if somebody said the Guinness is running out. I don't know. I think I would panic. Anyway, one more story before our interview with uh, Trevor Birch, which is very good. And Chinese clubs have been asked to change their name, Kieran, by the government. Um, yes. Um, 
This is because the Chinese government has ordered all clubs to decommercialize their names. I think they want football clubs to stand on their own two feet. And, and I'm grateful here. You know, we've got a lot of uh, uh, in, international listeners. Well, this, this has come from Raymond, Raymond Chan, who, who's, who's one of our uh, listeners from the Far East, and I know I know Raymond, uh, and he uh, he he's he sent through some pronunciation advice for uh, for, for some of my uh, absolutely ruination of, of Chinese <laughs> clubs' names. Um, but yeah, th- this is this is again part of the uh, the discomfort I think that uh, the Chinese government has with uh, the the approach by large industrial organizations in China to to acquire a football club and to then use it as a vehicle for marketing and advertising purposes so so they've they've said you know if, if you want to own a football club then fine but in terms of a name uh then it's got to have a, a traditional name and and that's that's good you know because I, I don't like uh, you know the likes of RB Leipzig and so on, and and, yeah. I, and I wouldn't want uh, I, I wouldn't want I, you know if, if football clubs in this country went that way, I'd, I'd be absolutely appalled. And you've got to give uh, credit to the uh, the football authorities here is that that's one thing which I think is is effectively outlawed. So you know, you can't have uh, you know you can't have Bet three six five Stoke uh, as as a as a, as a name. Uh, and and you know let's let's hope you know, that's 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 forever more. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, Kieran. Because uh, is, is this the case of you know NatWest Bank, for example, setting up a new club and calling it NatWest United, or is it a case of taking over an existing club and, as you say, calling it NatWest Stoke? Well, I, I think it, it was a case of uh, new owners coming in and uh, being able to. Uh, utilize their, their name in, in respect of existing clubs. That 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 cannot be the case here uh, in the UK. I, I think you know the Football Association, the Premier League, the EFL, and and and, and other clubs below. Although you know we, we did have we did have Total Network Solutions, didn't we, for a while yeah. in Wales, yeah, yeah. who then I think changed their name to to something rather strange uh, and certainly unpronounceable, uh, given given my lack of Welsh skills. Yeah, we need a Welsh version of Raymond Chen in, don't we? And <laughs> Catherine, <laughs> I, I know, I know, just the girl, Catherine Jones. Now, Kieran, uh, looking after seventy-two football league clubs sounds to me like all the hard work of keeping kittens in a basket without any of the whiskery fun. Um, we spoke to the chief executive of the EFL, Trevor Birch, to find out what it's actually like. <laughs> Trevor, you're now the chief executive of the EFL. Probably the three letters we say more than any other on our show. But can you explain a little bit about the organisation, how many staff, your budget, etc.? Yeah, well, it is an incredible organisation, really, Kevin. It's the largest single body of professional clubs in European football, uh, 72 professional clubs. Um, We represent the club's interest in domestic football and the wider political structure, including FA board and FA council. Uh, the objectives of the EFL is to organise, govern and regulate uh, the competition. We ensure it runs smoothly and we're putting on over 2,000 games a season. Um, and prior to COVID, of course, we had 18 million fans coming through the turnstiles. I think... You know, there was one statistic I saw that more people watch 
the EFL matches than any other sporting competition in the UK. With, with um, and that's our greatest strength, really, isn't it? You know, the, the teams are an integral part of the towns and the cities of the UK, reaching all mm. all areas and probably delivering the single biggest form of communal activity in the local area. We've got a um, a revenue of of uh, uh, clubs have got an annual turnover of about eight hundred million. We ourselves, as a league, have about one hundred and eighty million, which is driven from the collective sale of media rights and sponsorships. So, it's you know it 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 it, it, it undertakes a, a you know a, a fantastic um, uh, position within within the local communities. And I say the the other thing that we need to mention there with the communities. Kevin is the great work that the EFL Trust do, which which delivers all those community projects, um, engaging with over a million people in the in, in the country. So it, 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 the reach is is quite phenomenal. This episode of the Price of Football is brought to you by the AI powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion. You do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone. Whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football, and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. I, th- I think everybody in football, every club, every organisation has really shown the world, certainly mm. the, the country, what football can do, not just in a crisis, but on a day-to-day level for, for people and communities. But as the largest single body of professional clubs in Europe, 72, mm. what's what's the decision-making process like? Um, well, we we have a board, of course, which is chairman and, uh, and CEO, and then two independent non-execs and then six club reps three from the championship two from league one one from uh, league two uh, the executive carry out the board strategy and, and work closely with the clubs um, on on many of the issues that need to be you know co- co-developed and uh, and worked on together and then of course we've got the other stakeholders that we that we work with the the PFA, LMA, um, Premier League—you know—all all those people who impact on on our day-to-day business. We, um, we we work closely with them. 
any changes to the regulations um, are voted on by the clubs um, and there needs to be a majority of all divisions first and foremost and then a majority of the championship clubs so it's you know it like it's a, it's it's a broad church obviously within that 72 um, but I think I think it works quite well as Kieran points out though Trevor every club and its fans probably understandably think that they are the most important piece of the yeah. jigsaw so there's always a degree of self-interest involved isn't there how do you manage there that is and you know I think the clubs want us to apply the regulations absolutely rigidly and to the letter of the law to every other club. <laughs> there's, always, there's, always, there's always a reason why we should yeah. be a little bit more lenient with them. And, and, and of course, that's quite right because they're acting on behalf of the, the, the shareholders, their fans, the players, etc., etc. So I think you've just got to try and do the right thing, Kevin, and hopefully the majority uh, are, are in agreement with you. You're never going to get 72 clubs all, all, all aligned because of the the various different types of owners that are attached to them, the different structures that they have in place and the, and the way that they operate. We'll, we'll come on to that a, a, mm. in a bit more detail shortly, Trevor, or will it in as much detail as you'll allow us to. But when you, you became chief exec in January of, of this year, which was mm. a, a difficult time for the country. What, what were the main challenges you expected to face when you joined, other than the, I think, the, the one we all know, the obvious one? Yeah, well, I mean, there, yes, there lots of potential problems and issues, Kevin, and uh, I do seem to be drawn to the, the, those kind of situations um, uh, over my career. And, you know, I think I knew what I was walking into. We're obviously in the midst of COVID at that time. Um, we've got all the various protocols that we're having to put in place and it's testament to the to the club's resilience and, and, and you know durability that we managed to get through the season without crowds um, and the effect on, on, on the club's finances as a result of that. The other issues that were obviously ongoing at that stage where they were uh, EFO was raising finance externally, to, um, to, to to lend on to championship clubs. We had the Premier League loans and grants that we're having to deal with um, for, for, for League One and Two. As I said, we were behind closed doors. The uh, the Premier League review was, 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 was starting at that stage. Um, we had the potential of the gambling review issues. And then, and, and of course, the, the, the other thing to mention is there was no government support Kevin, you know, there was a 600 million yeah. winter and summer survival package and 2 billion given to the cultural sector, but nothing effectively to, to the EFL. Uh, perception being obviously that football has enough money within it. Um, but, but, but therein lies the problem in that the Premier League have the, uh, the majority share of that. Yeah. Trevor, given that shameful and still un- somewhat under-publicised lack of central government help. Are you surprised that EFL clubs have touched wood come through the pandemic relatively unscathed or were you confident that measures the EFL had in place would see them through? Yeah, I think it's been a stressful uh, time for, for, for all the clubs, Kevin, and, you know, the financial picture and uh, an and outlook uh, was as challenging, I think, as it's ever been. And with stats like, you know, 85% of clubs are trading at a loss pre player sales that only 17 are profitable 
and reliant on owner funding um, who you know uh, uh, owners who also in their own businesses were were, were being uh, put under pressure but it, it as I look at it though and I you know I was at um, Cambridge last night and uh, talking to Ian Martha there the the CEO you know that that they're they're not you know not in a, in too bad a position and it's a very mixed picture I think throughout the leagues um, and particularly in the leagues one and leagues two where there's been a number of packages and support Kevin that's being provided for example you know I mentioned the loans uh, but we ourselves have uh, 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 have made loans and basic award advances. Um, we worked hard to reduce the rebate to Sky, for example, when COVID hit. There's been furlough of staff, cost savings in match operations because we're behind closed doors. And then, of course, we had salary caps and squad limits, which mm. which undoubtedly helped. And then the great success of iFollow, which, um, you, you, you know, I think we generated receipts of 40 million plus. But what that also did was protect the season ticket monies that, that fans left within the club so i think you know what, what what a great thing for for fans to have done was to you know leave the the, the money into the club not ask for, for for refunds so that had a dramatic effect as well um and then ultimately hmrc not enforcing uh, any 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 repayment and allowing time to pay agreements so but then of course last but not least was the owners themselves who who were continuing to fund the club so i think that mixture of that package Kevin has, has, has enabled the clubs to um, to pull through. And what's your relationship like with with the Premier League? Are you in constant dialogue with them over COVID and other issues? Think, Do you get a feeling as well sometimes from the Premier League that even though clubs were in the EFL one two seasons ago, once they reach the Premier League, they're less concerned about helping you than perhaps about the help they would have got for themselves yeah, previously. Well, well, you know, they they provided the. Um, the, the, the grants and loans package, um, they may have had to have been dragged screaming and kicking, but they, you know, they did, they did provide that. Um, we worked with them on the protocols, of course, in terms of the operations for, 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 for getting games on, uh, Kevin. So I think, you know, I think, I think that the dialogue is, uh, is, is pretty regular um, because they are one of obviously the, the major stakeholders. And at the other end, Trevor, we've we've had fans recently of several clubs in the National League ask if the AFL would consider expanding to perhaps include mm. a regional League Three because, as you know, there was a lot of unhappiness about the, mm. the way the National League handled the pandemic. I have to say, Kevin, just at the moment, 72 clubs is, uh, <laughs> is, is, is probably sufficient for me to be going on with. I mean, Tra- Tracy might have other ideas, but, you know, we, we might talk about that at some stage. But uh, for the yeah. moment, I think, yeah, I, I've pretty much got my hands full. Right. Well, let's talk about it now then, uh, Trevor. What's your initial reaction to Tracy Crouch and her fan-led review? Yeah, we've 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 engaged with them, Kevin, and you know, looking looking forward to seeing what her final report says. I mean, a lot of the things, you know, we, we we're in agreement with, and I think most people have, a, you know, a a, a, um, a view of it that um, they would say 
the initiatives and the, and, and and some of the uh, things she's she's suggesting are, are pretty sensible. I mean, the, you know, it might be the, the detailed analysis of of what she's proposing that we might have uh, some some issues with, but otherwise, you know, I don't think we've got a fundamental problem with it. And certainly, Kieran, we found when talking to her, and you you were part of the review. She she does recognise the importance of the seventy two just as much as she does of the twenty, doesn't she? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I think she she really uh, understands the importance, as, as Trevor was saying, of football clubs as being a beacon for individual towns, and it does bring people together. Um, and, and it is a unique industry, and therefore needs some form of protection. Uh, in order to continue the valuable work that it does, not, not only mm. uh, for that entertainment on a Saturday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday night, but also for the amazing work that the uh, community schemes do in, in in helping individuals and groups. Mm. I think the biggest, Trevor, can we, I think sorry, the biggest issue, Kieran, that that, that that she will have and we have, of course, is the uh, is the financial distribution yeah. Through, yeah. throughout the model and. You know, one of the things I would say is that if we're to promote greater fan involvement and uh, and ownership, then we have to have situations where fans can actually uh, uh, get, get involved in the investment within within clubs. Because at the moment, you know, as we've seen with with Derby, and we might touch on that, but but the ongoing. Uh, run rate, if you like, and, and, and liabilities are such that it prohibits any real fan investment going forward. So if you actually had a model where they were sustainable mm. and breaking even, then that would encourage and allow greater fan involvement. Mm. Well, talk of financial distribution, Trevor, takes us nicely onto my next question, which was can we, can we talk about your problem child now, which mm. is the championship uh, or as Kieran calls it, the basket case. How how do we resolve the financial problems arising from the desperate desire to get out of that league and into the Premier League? Yeah, and that, that, you know, that's it in a nutshell, isn't it, Kevin? I mean, a, a derby is probably a get case study yeah. in, in what can go wrong and what happens at a club that is effectively gambling to get promoted and the devastation that's caused when they're not successful. Um but you have to ask, the, you know, the reason why that happens, and it, you know, it's happened to other clubs in in the past as well, who have who have overstretched themselves, and you know, we would contend it's the presence of parachute payments within the championship that drives that behaviour. Uh, where, where clubs who are not in receipt of, uh, of of those payments have to overextend themselves to be able to compete. You know, I think. I was looking at some stats the other day that in the last, uh, well, I think over 28, and I'll defer to Kieran here, but over the last 28 seasons of the of the, uh, of the Premier League, um, I think it's 1.4 clubs within, uh, out of three have, have been promoted back or in receipt of parachute payments. And then in the last 10 seasons, it goes to 1.6 out of every three, and then in the last five, it's uh, it, it's it's um, 
what is it, eight, is it? I can't remember the word. But it's yeah, like a 60% are. chance of, yeah, um, yeah. Of, of getting promoted if you're in receipt of parachute payments. So I think it was 1.8, yeah, 1.8 out of three yeah. um, were, were, were promoted. So it clearly has a distorting effect both on the pitch performance, but also, as I said, on the on the behaviours of owners who, who are trying to compete. So there has to be some kind of levelling of the uh, of, of the uh, uh, of the cliff edge um, or reducing of the cliff edge to enable a smoother transition. And, and therein lies the problem: how how do you achieve that? Um, um, and what's the mechanism? And I know you know I've heard Kieran in the past, you know, uh, but it, it, it's a difficult nut to crack. Well, that's that's the problem because you either make it more financially attractive to stay in the championship, mm. or not to panic if you're in the championship, or you make it less financially yeah. attractive to be in the Premier League. And both of those are going to be almost impossible to do, aren't they? Yeah, you know, and, and you have sympathy for the you know, the Premier League who's saying, "Well, we need to support those clubs who are, who are relegated," but it does, you know, the, the the chaos it causes in the in the championship is just too great, and it, and it's increasing, isn't it? Even last season. You know the, the three clubs finished first, second, and fourth, who were who were who were relegated. So yeah. I think it's increasing. And you know, with seven clubs, Kevin receiving, I think last year two hundred and thirty-four million, and uh, what is one hundred and thirty-six million received by the other seventeen in terms of media payments. You know, so that's so two hundred and thirty for seven clubs and one hundred and thirty six for the other seventeen. You can see the, the distorting effect it has on it. Mm. Kieran, just for new listeners, I'll ask you to say this out loud once again. But <laughs> your theory is that the the gap between the two is just simply too great. Unlike in Scotland, where there's a slope rather than a mountain. Yeah, yeah. my view is parachute payments are there to solve a problem because the Premier League has been too successful. Now, remove the need for parachute payments and you, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm all in favour of getting rid of them. Uh, but getting the Premier mm. League to give up its money or what it sees yeah. in its money, I think, is, is, is the challenge. Uh, mm. At present, on average, Premier League clubs who are relegated to the championship have a 40% reduction mm. in wages in the first season for if we if we abolish parachute payments then then realistically you're probably going to need a 75 to 80 percent uh, wage cut and could you persuade a player to to come on to those terms i, I think mm. that would be a challenge yeah that th- there are already wage reductions um and you know i i see the logic and the necessity of those but uh I don't. I, yeah, parachute payments are a solution to to a bigger problem, and the bigger problem is the difference between the Premier yeah. League and the Championship. And therein lies the problem with with Tracy's review, Kieran, as well. Is that you know the, that that that's the biggest problem to to solve in terms of domestic football? Yeah. How how do you redistribute the wealth? Well, we're, we're all suffering because of the amazing success that the Premier League. Uh, has achieved you know we're a victim of that success Mm. Uh, Trevor there will be many fans of Reading listening to this and many many fans of Derby listening to this trust me Uh, and I understand the EFL's reluctance to discuss the affairs of individual clubs but does that not frustrate you sometimes I mean when you have a club owner blaming you for their administration or someone like Eric Alonso making 
ludicrous conspiracy claims about you, then is the temptation not to just to grab a microphone and, and defend yourself and explain the EFL's point of view and the rules they're working with? Free, feel free to do that, by the way. Have a, yeah. have a good old <laughs> no, rant. It, it have is a good a, old rant if you want. We'll, no. we'll cut that out. Don't worry, no. Trevor. <laughs> It, it it can be frustrating, but uh, at the same time, you just got to try and do do, do your best and do the right thing. Try and you know work within the, the the rules and the regulations that we have. They're there for a reason, and if, if all the time you're 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 trying to react to to people who maybe tweet or or say things against you, you'd spend your life just. Uh, Sort of defending yourself, Kevin. So you just you hopefully get on with it and try and make the right decisions. And what's not going to please everybody, um, but hopefully, if you have done the right thing, then that, that's all you can do. And, and do your rules and regulations allow you to help, for example, the twenty staff at Derby that have been made redundant, or is that do the, is that simply down to the club and the administrators well, to deal with yeah, that? that? I mean, that, that's with the club. They're a limited company. There are you know procedures in place for for dealing with with stuff that are made redundant in an insolvent situation, Kevin. But there's no yeah. there's no hardship fund as such that, uh, that that is established by the league. Trevor, you you weren't in the job when when Barry went under, and for the first six months of our pod, we we spoke about very little. What lessons have the EFL learned from that shameful situation to help prevent it happening again to another club? Well, I think we've we've made a few changes. I think since then, um, uh, paying wages late, for example, attracts a, a, a sanction. Now we have a so-called thirty-day rule, um, which is days when you're late in terms of paying either wages or or, or other clubs' monies, each day will add to a 30-day rule. And if you breach that that 30 days, then you'll be subject to uh, sanctions and being able to be in an, an embargo, et cetera, et cetera. Um, owners, um, I think in, in, in the Berry situation, an owner was allowed to buy the shares and then have 10 days subsequently to provide details of how he was going to fund it well that can't happen now that has to you know you have to provide that before you actually uh, own the uh, own the shares and uh, and and pass the owners and directors test so we've also got um future financial information requirements now from clubs in league one and two which weren't there at that stage they were only used for um for, for championship clubs um, and that gives us an ability to look at the future budgets, and if we think that uh, the, 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 there's a need, we can ask for so-called secure funding to make sure that funds are there to uh, to support the club. So, in other words, the the EFL can be more proactive now to step in. Yeah, and I mean, the situation off. Yeah, yeah. You know, we are we're looking at the financial regulations as we speak. Um, we've got a working party. We're working with the PFA with it as well to to refine them even further and to to you know try and protect clubs and and, and the league from any any of these other unfortunate incidents. Trevor, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thank you, and hopefully we'll get to talk again soon. Mm-hmm. 
Kieran, as I said to Trevor, there, there will be fans of just about every club in the country, in the EFL. There'll be fans of football in general saying, why didn't you ask him this? Why didn't you ask him that? We, we did have some time constraints and it would have taken us a long, long time to get through every issue. Um, Trevor has agreed to come back on again in, in a few months' time and maybe have a sort of Ask Trevor uh, panel type thing. But I thought it was really interesting. I, I, In particular, it made me laugh when I asked about possibly the EFL taking over the National League when you basically said, I've got enough, I've got enough problems yes. with <laughs> 72 kids I've got already without adding another 24 kids to the to the mix. But um, I thought he was very open and honest about some of the issues facing the EFL in competition with the with the Premier League. And once again, it, it, as always, it, it parachute payments. Again, it's, this, this is a situation that's got to be resolved somewhere or another, isn't it, Kieran? Yes, it is. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, I, I repeat my view. Let, let's let's create a a football landscape where parachute payments are not needed. Um, can you go from a position of having a wage bill of a of a hundred to one hundred and twenty million to one of you know fifteen to twenty million, which is what would be required uh, if parachute payments were abolished? I, I think that's a real real logistical challenge uh, and you know you know the EFL says they're evil i think to a certain extent they're a necessary evil in the sense that uh, if you didn't have them then the risk of clubs going into administration would be would be far greater yeah. so you know address address the imbalance and, and that imbalance also has got to take place within the EFL itself uh, you know, at present there's there's a huge imbalance between the championship and and League One. And remember, we do have parachute payments uh, given by EFL clubs uh, when they drop into the the National League because the National League TV deal is 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 worth buttons compared to League Two, just the uh, just as is the yeah, yeah, the championship yeah. TV deal compared to the Premier League. So uh, it, it's. It, it, it's a real challenge. I, I have spent hours and hours on my spreadsheets looking at different distribution models, transferring parachute payments to all the clubs in the EFL, narrowing gaps, uh, splitting splitting gate receipts between the home club and the rest of the football pyramid. I've, I've tried everything, and whatever you do, uh, and you still have to preserve the fact that the likes of Manchester United and Liverpool and Chelsea and Manchester United and Manchester City are the big drivers of interest in the football. So therefore, they, they deserve to be rewarded more than others. But at the same time, you know, they don't want to give up anything to the smaller clubs in the Premier League, who in turn don't want to give up anything to the clubs in the Championship, who in turn don't want to give anything up to the the clubs in League One. You know, uh, everybody wants redistribution where somebody else is giving them more money, and it's it, it's tricky. It's very very tricky. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to publicly thank Trevor actually, Kieran, as I think, as you know, because you caused it by being honest in the past in your criticism of some EFL practices. There are there are people at that organisation, Kieran, who who perhaps won't be sending you a Christmas card. So it's taken us a while to establish friendly relationships. But uh, Trevor was good enough to reach back to us and uh, wants to come back on again and wants to establish a relationship whereby he can talk to people, talk to fans about what the EFL do. But, of course, as he 
as he said, sometimes when he's offered the opportunity to talk about a situation between the EFL and the club, it's the club that would get annoyed if he did because he would then be breaching confidentiality rules for all that we say, come on, you can put your side of the story if they were to do that. So I think our listeners need to realise that people like Trevor sometimes need to be circumspect in the replies that they give to us. But I I thought he was very good and I'm uh, very appreciative that he came on. It's nice that we're all friends again, Kieran, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, you know, we've spoken to... And we're not here to blow, you know, to say that we're, we're having a love in now, but I've spoken to fans at clubs such as Swansea and Portsmouth, and mm. they say that in his role as administrator or in his role at the club uh, on a more an executive level, um, he was the one person they always felt that they could trust because he wouldn't try to pull the wool over their eyes. He, he wasn't interested in sound bites. Um, and he he did have a a good working knowledge of what's important in business, uh, and that is cash. Mm. Uh, you know, and and Trevor comes from an insolvency background, which is which is the same as you know, as what I used to do in the dim and distant past. And and uh, yeah, I, I think he 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 knows the, the critical elements in the game. Yeah, I, I know the expression you were searching for there, Kieran. It's always struck me that on a practical level, blowing smoke up anybody's bottom would be would, would present quite a few issues, I'm guessing. Really, you'd have, you'd have to be inside for a start off, wouldn't you? There's any sign of a breeze. Yes. <laughs> um, and on that image, <laughs> if you would like to make a contribution to our always free-to-air podcast, and that's very kind of you, please go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. This is our news pod today. On Mondays, we have a questions pod. And if you have any questions for us about any aspect of football finance anywhere in the world, at any level of football, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell, which I think this week of all weeks, it's appropriate that a Brighton fan gets the last five seconds. <laughs> Indeed. Um, well, once again, folks, thank you again for your support, which manifests itself in in many ways. Uh, yeah, we, we do appreciate it. Um, we are actually delighted the fact that somehow we, we've broken into the top 100 podcasts in the Ooh. UK. Now, th- there are 2.2 million different podcasts on, on, on the planet. So the fact that you're listening to us, some of you are listening to us, uh, it is is very flattering. We've always said we are looking forward to the day where this podcast is no longer required. Uh, but that's, at present, that's that's not the case. So again, thanks for your support. And uh, yes, thank you for, for our Patreon uh, followers. That That's that's fantastic. But uh, if you just want to, if you want to say something about us and give us five stars on on Apple, um, that helps us in those charts, and it and it helps to raise our profile. When uh, you know we, we have asked some other senior people in football to come on the show in in future weeks, where we're hoping to be able to to confirm that very soon. Um, and th- things like this do make a difference. And if you just give us the five stars, it doesn't actually matter what what you say by all accounts. You, you could say you'd rather it was presented by by Frankie Boyle and Susie Quattro. Um, which, which I think will be a fantastic combination. Um, and uh, and for those of you too young to remember, uh, my, myself and Kevin used to like Susie Quattro on top of the pops in 1973 with Devilgate Drive. Is that right? Uh, yeah, amongst other things. Yeah, I, I've had the pleasure of meeting Susie. Oh, have I think, you? I, oh, I wow. You, 
I think you'd still like her, Kieran. She's very similar to her leather-clad persona. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, and also a brilliant musician. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I'm told. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, no, brilliant bass player. Uh, yeah, we we probably we probably need to get out of the habit of signing off with 1970s references, don't we, if we want to stay in that top 100. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Buy a son for football.